Hey, Joe. Hey, Robert. How we doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a long week of like doing nothing in front of a screen. You? In front of a screen? What are you? What are yeah, you doing? You know, are you recording something? <laughs> are you? Is this a green we screen? Talked about my surfing habits before. We talked about that. We weren't going to talk about that. Um, no, I, I mean, like away from work. I'm, you know, are, you know, did, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Well, now, see, now I'm confused because didn't we just talk about this? Oh yeah, that's it's, right. We're doing a time warp here, and we're doing a bonus gonna, show, and it's before Thanksgiving. That's right. You know, I knew we talked about this, but then you said that we're Happy Thanksgiving, and then I got confused, and now I'm really not sure. So this, this is like an early present for the three listeners that really like like the show. This is that's fantastic. right. That's right. It is a it it is a bonus episode for people who really don't care about getting a bonus episode. <laughs> wow, you really know how to. Are you in sales? You really know how to package it. Oh, I am in marketing, my friend. Well, I'm yes. excited. I think we should uh, get right to it if we can. Let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 222 of PNR's This Old Marketing, a special bonus episode recorded on Friday, November 22nd, 2019. And with me, the only guy who wasn't on the phone call with the leader of Ukraine, and the guy I'm most grateful for this Thanksgiving, my friend, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, oh, my friend? Oh, I am grateful for you, too. It's a big virtual yeah. hug sending over to California. Are you in California? Are you home? I am, actually. I'm home. I'm home for the holidays, and I'm super happy for that. Two to Episode 222. This is the three-of-a-kind right. episode. The three-of-a-kind bonus this episode is, for everybody. Triple deuces. You know, when we ended uh, in whatever it was, episode 210 or whatever, I never thought we'd get to 222 because, of course, we stopped. But now here we are. Making it to, to, it'll never happen again. This is the most special right. of all episodes until we get to 333. It's the palindromic episode, oh, as it were. This is yes. absolutely lovely. So I know, I mean, it was your idea to, you know, we've been talking about doing this bonus episode. It was your idea to say, hey, this is as good a day as any uh, because people don't want to work. You know, people, this Thanksgiving is coming up. If we send out on our normal schedule, it'll be right after Thanksgiving. They're not going to want to listen to this old marketing. Now they can do, they can get ready. They can start stuffing the turkey. They can, and listen to this old marketing and whatever we're going to, I don't really even know what we're going to talk about in this. You know, you have the plan. So I'm excited. I do. I yeah, it's going to be fun. We Well, what we did was we went out to the audience and we went out on Twitter and we said, what the heck should we be talking about in this bonus episode? And we got some, well, let's just say some interesting uh, feedback as well as some really good <laughs> ideas. There was the one guy who said, oh, it was Jonathan Crossfield, of course, who said we should talk about the Oxford comma, which, um, yeah, I'm a fan of, but uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure it, it merits... <laughs> Talking be about 10 seconds long. Yeah, we both like 30 yeah, seconds. We both like it. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Let's move on. Yeah, two thumbs up for the Oxford it's comma. Cool. There we go. Oh. It's the it's, <laughs> it's my jam. <laughs> the Oxford comma is my jam. It's cool. It's awesome. And it's important. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so folks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna tee up. We don't have any sort of major segments of this show of uh, the major news theme or individual news items that we've picked, although we do have a rant and a rave that we'll talk about a little later. Um, but what we did was we actually did poll the audience and we got some really interesting topics. Well, <laughs> well, we'll see if they're interesting yeah, we'll or not, but they're interesting to us anyway. Um, and uh, the first one that we're going to talk about here, uh, this one comes from Alberto Gomez um, at Al, uh, Albeboir. Uh, A-L-B-E-B-O-I-R, my apologies, Alberto, if I have mispronounced your name, um, who asked us to talk a little bit about, and I would love to understand this from you, my friend, our biggest failures and the most recent failures and how we have solved them in each of our uh, respective lives. So maybe you go first. You what, what? What is your biggest failure and your most recent failure, and how did you solve well, it? Well, my first question is, how long is this episode going to be? 
<laughs> right, exactly. I really need to know how short I should keep these things because it could go, you know, I could go on and on and on about my the story failures. of my life is quite inconsequential. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I should bring my family members onto the show and they could really tell yeah, exactly. you about my uh, my failures. The, would, we should start drinking. Yeah. Well, would you would you like me to go first? I have one particular one in mind. Uh, Please, and do. I'll say I'll, I'll do that. So this, some of the, our listeners might know this story. I've I've spoken about it uh, a couple times, but maybe not in the amount of detail that I'll go through. So this is a third. I'm going to go through this about 30, 35 minutes, Robert. No, just kidding. Um, yeah. So basically, decided to leave Penton Media, where I worked from 2000 to 2007, and launch what ultimately became Content Marketing Institute, but. Before that, I launched this um, this little thing called Junta42, which I thought was the coolest Web 2.0 name ever. I mean, isn't what's not the like, right? So anyways, I launched Junta42, and Junta42 was known, at least we positioned it as the eHarmony for content marketing, which I just thought was the greatest sales pitch ever. But I go out there and start selling this matching tool, and basically what we did it was online matching, and we would match up brands that needed content marketing. They needed content creation in some way with agencies, writers, or journalists that provided those types of skills. And started that in 2008. That was, you know, by the way, they had no money coming in. I did some speaking and and had a couple consulting gigs, but, you know, this was it. I left a six-figure job and went into this and thought this was the greatest thing. We were going to do it. Started in 2008. And this Let's fast forward then to September of 2009, and was t- I remember this really, really well because I got really emotional about it. I really, we, I needed money desperately. We had all the credit cards were maxed out. We were in the red. I was pouring more money into programming, and the agencies just weren't paying for the service. But I had my best case study out there. And it was from a billion-dollar company that used the service and basically sent a multi-million-dollar project to one of the agency partners. So I'm like, okay, this, at least there's something going on that's working right here. And the agency partner that got this big project didn't re-up for the next year. And honestly, at the time, I needed the $5,000 annual fee to keep everything going, to put food on the table. So... This, uh, it was a woman that was a CEO uh, at this company and I knew her really well. So I gave her a call and I said, I said, I'll call her Paula. I'll say, Hey, Paula. I said, uh, your, your annual fee is due. I don't, I don't know if there was a mix up with the credit card or something, but I'm just calling to make sure everything is in order and uh, we can take care of it on the phone here. And she pauses and she says, Joe, I, you know, I'm sorry to say that we're not going to re up. And I'm, and I'm like, well, Paula, the, like this is not working for you. I mean, we delivered you that multi-million dollar project. I know that's going well. And she said, "No, Joe, we're actually going to take our money and and we feel that we can get better ROI somewhere else." And I'm like, "Better ROI?" I said, "You paid five thousand dollars. You got a multi-million dollar project." <laughs> right, I can't. Exactly. I said, it, "I told her. I said, and I remember saying this. I said, if you're getting better ROI somewhere else, please let me know." I said, "I'll put my money into that." Because I don't know how I can deliver you more value, now, of course, than lots of silence. And she just said, Joe, that's the decision we make, made and we're done. So I hang up the phone. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I went into the member. I went into the backyard. I was feeling really sorry for myself. And I said, this is it. You know what? I'm going to have to look for a real job, which I actually started to do. Didn't tell anybody. You know, like this thing didn't work. I got two small kids. I think at the time the the boys were let's see, seven and five. I think that's what they said. Eight, eight and six, seven and five around that. And I'm like, okay, this this is not working. And it took me a couple of weeks of feeling sorry for myself. And then I finally realized what was going on because I started to go into the feedback from luckily I started the blog and the blog was doing fairly well. And I started to look at the comments and some of the emails I was getting from the subscribers. And what were they asking for? They weren't asking for the eHarmony for content marketing. What they were asking for was, Joe, do you have any formal training that you offer? Joe, we'd like you to do more consulting. Joe, and you remember this really well, Robert, because that's when you started. You came on a little bit after this and started helping me with some of this consulting stuff. And I said, uh, I said Joe, is there any big event out there that uh, I, where I can meet content marketing professionals? And it was finally there. I'm sure the normal person would have got all this. But finally, I realized 
I put all my love and everything and all my focus into this product and I totally ignored the feedback coming from the audience. And if I just would have a little sooner, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not regretting anything. It worked out great. Don't get me wrong. But it's amazing that I was just so in love with this little product that we had online. And I so thought it would work when all I had to do was focus on building that audience, do, you know, do the you know, content marketing philosophy, listen to my audience, set up those listing posts, and, the, and then my audience was asking for something different. So finally that hit me, and I remember, I must have been drinking at the time, Robert, because I wrote this on a cocktail napkin, and the cocktail napkin was the initial business model for Content Marketing Institute, and it said, you know, we will create the leading online destination for content marketing, which became Content Marketing Institute, so we will create the leading event, physical event for content marketing that became Content Marketing World. And so we will create the leading print magazine for content marketing that became Chief Content Officer. And we accomplished those things. I think all if you look at the numbers by 2013 with a lot of wonderful people helping us get there. But I guess my, I look at, I mean, it's a failure obviously and there's a great success after that. But the big failure was, and I talk to entrepreneurs all the time about this, do not fall in love with your product. And you and I see it all the time. We go into places and everyone's talking about how wonderful their product is and the features and benefits and everything. And if we just focused a little bit more on the audience and had our eyes, you know, the eye of Sauron, focus on that audience, if you will. And uh, good things happen when you do that. And when somebody asks me, what's your biggest failure? That's what I always go. That's like my go-to because we almost lost everything because uh, because I thought I had a cool product. Wow. I mean, I, I and, and of course, I know that story very well. I've heard it um, a couple of times. But I think it's just, I mean, every time I hear it, I learn something new. And, I, and, and to me, that's the... This, the, the lesson learned there is such a big one, which is that, you know, you've got to continue to listen to your audience, not just, you know, not just once, right? But, you know, continue to listen to them because it's that evolution that's important, right? Because you listen to them early on and that matchmaking service was a good idea, you know, and then it wasn't, right? And it was, and it's that, uh, it, it's, it, it's that time that it stopped becoming a good idea that, you know, it, you, you know, you, you sort of look back and go, oh, I wish I would have been more present in that. And, and, you know, it's funny because mine is a similar failure. Um, I have two that I'll mention, um, both of which, like you, you know, what comes out of those failures, you know, ends up delivering you where you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And so you end up sort of going, I don't regret failing that way. Right. So the first one I'll mention is when I first moved out to Los Angeles, as I've told many times I came out to be a screenwriter and a, and a, uh, a musician and an, basically an artist and I was going to be an artist and I ended up getting a little bit of traction um, and uh, here as a writer and the fascinating thing was is that I I had that sort of 22 year old arrogance you know that said I don't need anybody but me um, and ended up getting a big deal with a production company here to write a screenplay um, and just basically looked at the agreement myself, didn't have anybody look at it, you know, said, oh, I can handle this. And I signed the agreement, negotiated my own deal, did the whole thing, basically wrote the screenplay, turned it in. And the company said, yeah, look at your agreement. We're not going to pay you. And it was one of those things where <clears throat> at the time I needed money in the worst way. And it basically put me so far into the hole and it was all because of my own sort of inability to look to others for help um, and say, I need to actually look at something in a different way and not and realize that I'm not the smartest guy in the room at this point. And that's OK. And let other people do their job uh, in, a, in a good way. And it was a huge, huge lesson for me um, in, in that. Um, the second one, which is related, obviously, to um, me <laughs> meeting you, quite frankly, um, is this how is, that is that I, is going to be a failure. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't wait to hear this failure. one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a huge failure here. Um, no, it's 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 all about my. This is what's more related to your not listening um, uh, lesson, which is I didn't listen to myself. Um, and this is sort of the opposite of that that first failure. But it but when I was working as a CMO of a software company. 
for years, um, I knew that I was not happy and that I was ready to go out on my own and that I was, you know, I had ideas about what I wanted to do and wanted to sort of branch out on my own. And the interesting thing is I had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, and I never listened to my gut. I didn't do it. I just sort of said, ah, I'm just going to give it one more year because this will be a good year. And then it wasn't. And then my gut told me that this would be, uh, I need to get out of here and this will be the good year. And it just wasn't. And it really wasn't I finally had to meet you, quite frankly, in 2008 for you to go, dude, are you all in on this thing or not? And I finally went, oh, my God, this is this is the year I need to do this and go all in and go out on my own and sort of just, you know, jump and hope that the, you know, that my wings will sprout as I fall. And it turned out to be the best case. It turned out to be awesome. But the key is, is that what I see now, I mean, obviously, is a wonderful, wonderful fact that I got to meet you. But in the time, I didn't listen to my gut at all. I didn't. I was. I wasn't listening to my heart. I was trying to rationalize where I was and not moving as a as a piece of it. And it's a it's a huge lesson that I learned. Well, you know, it's it's so interesting too. It's such a great story. But when I I mentor some entrepreneurs out there and or would be entrepreneurs, and they always are looking for you know what's the perfect time. What's the right time? And I always say, there is no right time. Right. There will never be a right right. time. There never will be. The right time is now, if you will. There will always be a reason. I mean, I remember even making excuses to to Pam, my wife, before leaving Penton Media and and starting what became Content Marketing Institute. I was like, oh, you know, the the boys are two and four and, you know, we won't have the money and you're not working. And how? And she's like, I mean, luckily, and you know how Pam is, she's like, are you just going to keep talking about this? You're going to do something. (laughs) Just go do it and make it happen and stop talking about doing it. And that's the that's just great advice. And it's just hard, just hard sometimes to swallow it yourself. It is indeed. You know, I mean, well, there's the I, 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 I this is one of the sayings that I have in a in a frame uh, in my office, which is that Chinese proverb: the best time to plant a tree was ten years ago. The second best time is today, yeah. right? And you know, and so it's yeah, it's uh, it's make a choice. Well, speaking of that, that can bring us to our next topic um, that we can chat a little bit about, um, which comes from the. <laughs> the wonderful, the amazing, the annoyingly clever, our friend Doug Kessler, um, at Doug Kessler on Twitter, if you want to go follow him, and I highly recommend that you do. He is, uh, as I say, annoyingly clever and smart. Um, he says what we should talk about is what's next. What's next, maybe after content marketing or just what's next, generally speaking, in in marketing? So... For you, my friend, what do you think is net? What does twenty twenty? I mean, we're we're going to do a predictions show for sure, but but just at a broad view, what do you think? What's next in marketing yeah. and advertising and business? And what do you what do you think? Yeah, I've got a, you know a couple things. We've talked about some of these on on the show. I'll go into one or two in detail, but just off the top of my head, you you know, I've already called twenty twenty being a year that that print media sort of bottoms or has bottomed already and comes back we talked about the airbnb uh purchase of what, what did they purchase again what's the um what, what did airbnb purchase the the oh uh, atlas, atlas obscura. obscura thank you very much yeah and those types of things and you've got staples that just came out with their big relaunch or launch of their customer magazine um, i think you're going to see more and more of that as there's just so much clutter and things going on in digital, and it's very, very hard to gather attention and build an audience. I mean, it always has been, but it may be harder than it was a few years ago. So you have a lot of people going to print and knowing that people still get uh, the postal service and and really thoughtful print publications. There's a role for them. It will never come back, but there's definitely a role for smart, innovative companies to go back to print. And of course, to look at Look at Red Bulletin, Red Red Bulls magazine, and how wonderfully well that's doing. So that's one thing that I look at. Um, We've talked about voice being so. so Voice is not just next year. Voice is the next five, ten years. I think that as marketers, we need to really pay attention to what we're doing from a content perspective and how our audiences are engaging in voice more and more every year. And if you look at the great research that Tom Webster does with Edison Research, you'll see how podcasts are going off the charts, but 
the things that I notice are, for example, you know, my, the way my wife uses her smartphone and she never types in a search anymore. It's all voice. Everything is, um, if you if you see what's going on with the Alexa devices and Google Home and whatnot, that people, I think we'll look back in five to 10 years about how we searched with typing on um, on a keyboard or typing with our thumbs into a smartphone as idiotic. Like, why, did we, why were we ever there? Everything's happening in voice. So I think we need to prepare for that. That could be content marketing, but that could just could be regular marketing uh, and looking at everything we do and what's the voice component of that and how are people going to find us. So I think I'll stop there first. I've got a couple other things that I want to share, but I want to stop there and just get your take and, and maybe get one or two of yours. I think those are both great. Um, you know, I, I think to me, I, I when I, I look at the print thing and I say it's it to me, it feels a little bit like where vinyl is now. It's going to be one of those sort of niche um, sort of uh, formats for people who are trying to do something very special. You know, there's that, it's that, you know, I'm always reminded of whenever I see and hear this idea of, you know, where print and vinyl and stuff like that are coming back. Do you remember the scene in Blade Runner where um, they said, you know, he walks in and the the woman has a snake around her neck Mm -hmm. and, and he goes, is that a real snake? And she's like, what are you kidding me? Nobody can afford a real snake. Um, And so it's this idea that, the what has what we would consider sort of normal and commoditized becomes special and niche and expensive and quite frankly rare. I was watching the 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 news the other day and the the new Garth Brooks um, sort of boxed set is coming out and I love Garth Brooks and and so I was I was thinking about getting it and it's available only on vinyl. You can get it on vinyl, oh, sort of in really this, sort of yeah. And it's, wow. so they're putting out this box set in, on vinyl, and so it's making me really want to go out and upgrade all my, you know, my my uh, my record player and my you know my my whole system here um, to get some. you know, I still have my vinyl records, and I don't get to you know leverage them very often. So yeah, I think I, I think from a business standpoint, you're going to start to see the vinylization, if that's the right word, of print and and you know, a bottoming out, if you will. Mine? Oh, wait, well, hold on one second. I just I think oh, it's yeah. funny because yeah, yeah. you and I were having a little discussion on LinkedIn because, you know, I, I did one of my videos on LinkedIn about it. Uh, and th- did you see the comment of the guy that says, oh, yeah, Joe, that's great. I'm going to go to Sam Goody right now and get my get my <laughs> CD and then I'm off the blockbuster to rip my video. <laughs> I right. thought that was so yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. And I said, no, right. you know, it's not, this is this is not like print's going to overtake, you know, print is, print's days are gone from from the you know the golden years if you will but i think for really delivering a special as you talk about a special content experience there is an opportunity there like we've seen and we've already seen this we have people tell us uh, amazon has doubled down they're sending so much more direct mail about for christmas for holiday season you've got walmart doing it best buy doing it they've sort of taken a look again and said oh my gosh this stuff really really works uh, and so you're going to see smart companies do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the preciousness of it, right? I mean, when you get a print piece now, you inherently ask yourself, I consciously or unconsciously, why did they do it this way, right? Why didn't they send this in a digital format? And the very existence of it makes it sort of a special experience. Now, you may open it up and it may be a bunch of crap, but the idea of it is that the 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 rarity of it these days actually makes it kind of special and so i think that's i think good smart marketers to your point are going to take advantage of that and you know obviously it doesn't preclude the need for the content inside to be good but it but it what it does is that it gives you sort of a immediate different kind of tactile experience to sort of, uh, uh, you know, wrap your ideas in. And I think, I I think it'll work. I think it'll work for a lot of marketers who choose to go that route. Yeah. If you don't believe, if you don't believe it, look at university marketing because my son, Joshua, you know, we're looking at colleges right now and he doesn't even, I mean, he gets all kinds of spam emails from colleges and universities all over the place, but he does pay attention to what he gets in the mail. So this and this yeah. is an eighteen-year-old. I mean, this is he's on Discord, uh, Reddit all the time, but he's but in this case, he's pay, paying attention to what happens in print. So just interesting, yep. yeah, absolutely. All right, go ahead. 
so yeah, I'll just mention the one thing that I uh, that I believe is next. Like, and when I say next, when I the what I took Doug to mean is like what literally like next year, like short term, okay. right? Not not like you know artificial intelligence controlling robots that give us flying cars and stuff. By the way, did you see the Tesla? I did. <laughs> I did. See it. it looks like it. You know what it looks like? It looked to me. It looks like a DeLorean that got stung by a bee. Uh, I saw a um, picture of it. There were people putting out dustbuster uh, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a it's dustbuster. Just, it's <laughs> awful. It's just so awful. Anyway, the Tesla truck is not what's next. Um, <laughs> nor throwing a rock through the window, which apparently oh my gosh. Uh, during the demo, that's a demo oh gone bad. God. Anyway, I digress. Um, what I think is next is sort of a uh, a conflation of, uh, of of two things that will change marketing and content forever. Um, you know, you and I were talking before the show, we just watched, uh, you know, we just watched Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, acceptance speech from the uh, uh, ADL uh, on the, uh, uh, you know, on, on his take on social media and where we are with fake news and all that stuff. And it's just a brilliant speech. You know, what we'll do is we'll link it in the Absolutely show notes. Absolutely will, yeah. Um, it's just a spectacular speech. Um, but what I'm seeing now in content from a business standpoint and a marketing standpoint, you know, we've been talking forever about this idea of content becoming a strategic function in the business and businesses need to treat it as such and and those kinds of things. And I think what I'm seeing is that you have a macro view that certainly Sasha Baron Cohen talks to with the idea of needing governors, um, literally physical, human, and technological governors on basically the crap that's getting put out in terms of fake news and lies and conspiracy theories and all those kinds of things on social media and all the ways that we're, we're publishing such. Um, to me, that sort of, it, it, it will pull down into companies as, as well. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I go back in history and I look at, in the late 1800s, you had this rampant tribal media publishing lies about people publishing horrible things um in you know it was the it was the era of yellow journalism it was it was a really horrible time in media right and it was due quite frankly to the democratization of how media how easy it was to publish things you know the printing press and uh, the industrial revolution made you know distribution of content much easier and you had basically people fighting for eyeballs and the sort of libelous um, uh, yellow journalism was sort of at the heart of that and what brought it back was interesting to me what brought it back you know and I'm sure there's correlation causation stuff here but one of the larger bigger trends that brought it all back was when the Supreme Court and specifically Justice Brandeis, um, there was a big ruling on privacy and it introduced all sorts of libel laws and the uh, idea of personal privacy and in journalism. And it brought back sort of the, the, you know, and brought us into really a golden age of journalism and where media companies were responsible for what they published. I see a similar thing happening here with privacy and what's going on in Europe, certainly, you know, for the last year and a half, what's starting to happen here from California, from all the privacy stuff, and how that data and privacy might actually have a calming and good effect on businesses about how content is created and more, more importantly, governed. So I think it's going to be incumbent upon businesses to figure that out for themselves. And I have a feeling, just a gut feeling, that what's next is content and what the business says becomes so important that they start to really pull all this together and content truly does become a strategic function uh, in, in the business. And so I look at 2020 as sort of the year of businesses figuring out not how they're marketing better, of course that's going to happen, how they're advertising better, but how they're actually dealing with consumer data and using content to actually communicate, you know, full stop, how does a business communicate more effectively? And so I, I'm bullish on those of us in the content practice um, for the coming years. No, I love that take, um, you know, along with the, you know, back to the Sasha Bar Baron Cohen video, which I would recommend everyone pay attention to a very, very eloquent speech, hit on some really important 
um, things. And the one thing that I love that he said, because you and I have talked about this forever, is the fact that Twitter and Google and Facebook and YouTube are publishers, which they've tried to say that they're, they're technology companies, but they're publishers. And as publishers, historically, even going back to what you're talking about, there are standards and practices that have been put into place, which haven't been put That's into right. place on these social media platforms. And not government practices, right? Standards and practices were put in because of the lawsuits and libel laws, That's right? right? So in other words, the standards and practices in television is not some legal thing. It's a it's a system of standards and practices that the publishers, the media companies, have imposed upon themselves in order to avoid lawsuits. And, I mean... Sasha goes through this, and we've talked about this as well, about the, the evil of Facebook. But basically, they will accept any advertising at all, and they will publish it even if it's not true. They do not have a standard and practice. They say they do, but we know they don't have a standard and practice in to, to double-check the information that's going out beforehand. And that's how we got into some of the trouble in 2016. So I think that what we're going to see, back to Doug's question, this is going to... Uh, something's going to happen here in the next year to two years where these yes, companies are exactly. going to have to address it. Now, what does this mean for content creators, specifically marketers? I think what this is going to mean is we're not going to have our free-flowing access like we once did. And I talked about this at Content Marketing World, and I believe it, where you're going to have these companies are going to pick certain content creators that are going to be able to communicate on their platforms and other Content creators, maybe people listening to this, maybe you and I aren't going to have that access. Not everyone's going to get to communicate on their platforms. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I really believe that the prediction is we've got to prepare that we won't have these channels necessarily to communicate to whatever our followers or subscribers, or rented subscribers that we think we have, we really don't have access to them. That's on their platform. That's on those are Facebooks, those are YouTubes, and we should be thinking about a plan right now to deal with that. And that's where, if you want to say we're going back to 1999 and looking at email subscribers as critical, I think that's really important. Especially, you know, we've got to have the privacy button down, the double opt-in, all those things. But that's just good standard practice. If you've been doing this like you've been supposed to be doing it for the last couple of years, you don't have a problem with what's going on in GDPR and some of the California laws and the 20 other states that are going to be passing these laws. So I think you have do to focus think, on your audience. So Do you think, and, 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 and this is truly just a gut feel question, do you think that next year, you know, I mean, we don't need to talk about politics here at all, but, you know, that's fairly obvious what's going on in the, in the world as well as, as, in, as in this country right now. But do you feel like, 2020 has some seminal moment um, where it sort of just all breaks? Um, or do you feel like it's going to reach its crescendo at, you know, with the election? Or how do you feel like this goes in the next eight months? Uh, we haven't talked about this. Right. I am, I'd love to get your take. I'm honestly scared <laughs> because, and maybe afraid for our country and the world, if you will, because I, I believe we've talked about the idea of deep fake, where that potential in AI is possible right now. And if certain people want to unleash it and create all kinds of videos about certain people being in certain situations and whatnot, they're going to have the videos to do it. We've already seen it done. So those things are going to go rampant. There's already so much information out there that's not true that people believe and I think it's hurting democracy. It's hurting our culture. Uh, something has to be done. I, I don't know if it's going to be 2020. I certainly hope so. I'd like to see some of these social media platforms lead the way. And we talked about it two episodes ago with Twitter. I don't think I think that move with Twitter and political advertising was a PR stunt. I, I don't believe they were doing it because they necessarily feel that this is the way to go. I think it has to probably start with Facebook. Something has to happen where that thing is locked down because it is going to get nuts in, let's say, May, June, July, August with some of the communication that's going to go on. Because we thought it was bad in 2016. You ain't seen nothing yet. It is going right. to be really bad 
But I, I guess the question I have, maybe you have a thought. I don't know what, I think it's 2020 or 2021, but I don't know what the thing, the, what sparks the change, what, what, where the turning point happens. I don't know what that is. It's going to be something hor- horrible. There was somebody's hits the reset button and says, we've got to take a whole look at this because this can't happen anymore. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, and I think from now through the end of next year, I think we're in for more of the same, um, you know, and I, I would agree. I think there are some troubling signs, you know, as we, you know, sort of move down the road, uh, both from a cultural perspective and a business perspective. Um, and what I'm hopeful for, because I am always a glasses half full kind of guy, I'm hopeful for and 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 working for and praying for and all of those things, is that at some point we need to have someone step up, like someone meaningful step up where basically, you know, I mean, and Sasha Baron Cohen said this really well in his speech, which is basically, you know, he, and he quoted uh, Murrow when he was talking about this. He says, look, not every issue has two equal sides. And we need to realize that and basically be able to shut down the stuff that isn't. And I'm really hopeful that someone meaningful, whether it's a political candidate or a business leader, steps up and actually basically executes that, right? Mm -hmm. Executes that idea. And I'm hopeful that that can happen. And this is lately, and I'm actually thinking about writing on this, like something significant, maybe a book. Um, I'm continually haunted by what uh, Henry Rollins said at Content Marketing World and, and Content Tech last year. And it just keeps on rattling around in my brain, which is this moral obligation that we all have to create great, truthful, factual content. It's no longer just an opportunity, I believe, for business. It's a moral you know, imperative. It's, it's actually something that, will, that we will be judged by. And so it, to me, it's, it's, there is something that is truly important here. And it's, I think we're moving you know, pell-mell into the maw of that idea. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a dangerous time as the, as, as, the, as the Chinese proverb goes. It's a crisis and it's the, uh, an opportunity riding the dangerous wind. So, well, first um, of all, uh, it, I, want, I want that book. I mean, I want to read that book. So, so I'm, I'm interested to hear more about your book concept. Yep. As you're talking, even though Twitter is the smallest platform, I mean, it has you know nothing compared to the size of, of a YouTube or, a, or Facebook, if you will. I, if, if I wanted to see something happen that I think could start with your glasses half full, it would be Twitter really knocking certain people off their platform because of the dissemination of false information and really saying we have, we've invested a billion dollars in moderation. And if we're, you know, we'll send you a warning if, if it, if you are spreading truly false information, uh, now do, uh, a part of me is like, I don't know if I'm right with that, but I think it's gotten to a point where yeah, something, exactly. I, yeah, really. Cause I don't know if I want them I to know. be the arbiters it's, of it, Yeah, but when right. it's totally, when you know, a hundred percent that it's false, like Sasha Baron Cohen talked about, there's a whole group of people that are, that are saying that the Holocaust never happened. I mean, those are the types of people that you have, if they're, if they're spreading lies like that, you need to shut that down. And there, because of how popular and how uh, viral some of the stuff is uh, that, that certain people you know have on Twitter, and again, I'm not going to get political, I'm not going to say names, but I think everybody can figure out what I'm talking about. I think that needs to happen. Shut that down, and I think you'll see a lot of good happen from that. A lot of crazy, but a lot of good as well. That would make a great... Um that would make a great nonprofit or hashtag or campaign. Shut it down. That would, yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, see, that's what you and I talked about two yeah. episodes ago was that's a great statement for Twitter to make that they're not going to allow political advertising, but they let the free stuff, the free false stuff go without right. even batting right. an eye. So you can't yep. do that. So, yeah. But I digress. <laughs> but I, digress. <laughs> I digress. Well, it is Thanksgiving week, folks. 
Um, and we have a lot of gratitude. But one of the gratitudes that we have, both Joe and I, is that we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor to talk about. We, we have someone who actually supports our little hour of nonsense. I am super excited, as always, to talk about it. <laughs> it's just not true. It's not true, but I'm going to, I love it. It's fake news, folks. No, I am I am excited because. Oh, are you? No, no, okay, no. Okay. So we're talking about the Content Tech Summit. And yeah. just, I'll, I'm going to go totally off script with this one. Because this, you and I really worked on, as you know, we were growing Content Marketing Institute, Content Marketing World was becoming a big thing. We thought we needed a West Coast tech event. We went out and bought Intelligent Content Conference. That has morphed into this wonderful thing called Content Tech Summit, which my friend Robert Rose has a huge part in. And the Content Tech Summit is again this year in San Diego, April 20th to 22nd, 2020. A lot of twos there. And I think that if you care at all about content marketing and care at all about the technology underlying and parts of the distribution strategy and the promotion. And to your point, really, a big part of Content Tech is the governance. ContentTechSummit.com. Go to it. You get low rates up to 12-14. That's when rates go up. Uh, so make sure you spend some time. Really look at it thoughtfully. You've got some great brands. I know you got Microsoft and Airstream and some other ones. You're, of course. Robert Rose is obviously going to be there as well. So if you yeah. really care about the uh, the intersection of content and technology, I think this is the best event to go to. And uh, so for that, so I am positive. See, that's pretty positive. Positive. I like that. Yeah, I like that. A See lot. how I did that? I was like, oh no. <laughs> no, I was like, yes, this is good. Come to another event, Pooh. <laughs> another content event. Oh dear. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. That was the I, best I do Eeyore. Eeyore. Yeah, that's yeah. the best Eeyore yeah. I've ever I, heard. I do a good Eeyore. A good it's, it's been practiced because oh, I've, I've, I've met a lot of Eeyores in my life, um, and uh, and I end up uh, doing that. Yeah, it's going to be great. We've got uh, we've got some good folks here. Um, well, folks, uh, here's the thing. You know, we don't really have a lot of news this week, but we do have, of course, um, as we established last uh, show, we have the empirically proven favorite part of <laughs> the show. Um, which is our rants and raves section, which is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has us uh, has us excited for the holiday and ready to eat turkey or something that makes us want to feel like Eeyore and talk about this. Um, let's see. You want to go first? Yeah, you want to go first? But I know you have a rant and I have a rave. Um, so uh, would you want, let's, why don't you go first? I'll, so I'll, Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this. You know, I don't really want to go. I feel like I've been ranting a lot. This is sort of a Thanksgiving episode, and here I am ranting about everything. But uh, I have, as everybody knows, I have two teenage boys, and they talked, they brought this up with uh, me two days ago, and I looked into it, and it, it really is a thing. So this is from PCGamer.com, uh, and the title is YouTube's FTC Compliance System for Kids' Content Angers and Worries Creators. Now, I'd love to hear your take on this, Robert, because I know you have one, but I'm trying to wrap my arms around this. But basically, and I'm going to read some of this because it's important, but YouTube is changing in January and talks about video, uh, video creators are afraid they may lose income and may even be fined by the U.S. government for making videos about, among other things, video games. So basically, this is about the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. It's a federal law. Uh, in the U.S., and it forbids the collection of data about children under 13 without parental consent. And It yeah. has been, by the way, since the late 90s. Thank you. So yes. it's not like it's a new law. Now, it's been around since the early 2000s. Thank you very much for the clarification. Yeah. Now, so where my kids were concerned and where this article talks about so you can get some more detail is, is that when you make a YouTube video now, video now, you have to select content made for kids or not for kids. Uh, and it's really important that you do because if you if you select it as for kids, there is automatically no targeted 
uh, advertising allowed for the, for that. Uh, and you lose you if you're a content creator, you will lose revenue because you can't target in that four kids. The issue is is that if you don't if you put it at not for kids, and there's a ton of if you look at Minecraft content for uh, Fortnite, you might say it's for kids, but it's also not for kids because there are, there are people that are over 18 that are looking at that kind of content too. But the issue is, and this is what they talk about, if you click on the not for kids, which you want to actually, because you'll get um, you have a better opportunity for uh, revenue opportunities, then if you if for some reason the FTC can come after you and say, well, you mark that improperly, if they feel that for some reason you're trying to mislead people and then they can find you directly. Now, I think I'm getting that correct, Robert, but it's a very complicated thing. But I know a lot of the YouTube community right now is up in arms. I don't I don't know what I'm ranting or raving about here. I'm just trying to, the, the, the way that, so my, my son Adam, he's a YouTube creator in the NBA 2K space. His issue was, is he's he wants to put, market for kids because you know really most of the people that watch his stuff is, is under 18 but if he mar- marks it as for kids he's gonna he is driving revenue he's gonna lose out on a ton of revenue so he wants to market not for kids but he's really confused he doesn't know what to do so there's no middle ground right now now this might be a good first step but right now there's just too much ambiguity i think a lot of the content creators don't know what to do well, this is a classic case of legislation not keeping up with technology, right? I mean, when this, I mean, and 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 the reason I know this is because I actually dealt with this um, when I was uh, working on the agency side. So before I became a CMO of a software company, um, I was the head of strategy for an ad agency, and one of our biggest clients was Activision. Um, which was, of course, the big video game company um, and other video game companies in the space. And so one of our biggest challenges was dealing with COPA um, and helping companies figure out their strategy for how they were, you know, in, in their websites, in their online applications, you know, that were targeting kids, how they were going to comply with COPA, but still be able to acquire the data from children, um, you know, and whether that meant parental consent or whether it meant you had to be, you know, over the age of 13. And, and, and there was lots and lots of, you know, it, it, it's fascinating how many of these, by the way, the other one was the, you know, the uh, American with Disabilities Act, which of course, um, you know, affected the online access as well, which also seems to have gone completely by the way, nobody's yeah, paying attention right. to that anymore, right? Yeah. Is your website, you know, good for colorblind people or for blind people and the readers, nobody cares about that anymore, seemingly. Um, it's a it's a fascinating thing because what nobody could have taken into account, which was met with all the great sort of uh, you know the the intentions, was we wanted to protect kids from their data being collected online by nefarious video game and entertainment businesses, and so you know you had companies like Nickelodeon and Disney and um, and all sorts of people wanting to pull in information from kids, and they wanted to protect that. But what hasn't happened is the evolved of you know, as the mid 2000s became the late, you know, teens, the idea of kids as content creators and targeting kids is also there. And so legislation has not kept up. And that's that's the reason you're seeing this is you're seeing all these companies going, whoa, we need to play. You know, we're about to get hammered here legally and they don't want to get hammered. So this is them just protecting themselves, which is, by the way, exactly what's going to happen with this privacy thing, too. You know, we're we're for you know we're we're neglecting. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to get sued or fined. There you go. And and now people are going to care. So that's it's with CCPA. Ask the average marketer on the street when CCPA, which is the California Data Protection um, stuff, when does it take effect? And you'll get a bunch of like, I don't know. I'm not paying attention to that. Well, it's January one. It's literally almost a month and a half away. And it's you know. And nobody cares. It's only going to be when the first, and maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's somebody big like Google, maybe it's somebody big like LinkedIn, maybe it's somebody, you know, big. When they get their first fine, that's when people are. Well, that's, and that's why this is going on, right? Because Google got hit with a $170 million settlement deal. 
And that's why now they're doing something about YouTube and it's going to go on and on. And that's why this is really tough. We just talked about it. You're going to have all this going on and then you've got all this fake news going on at the same time. And it is a big old mess. It's almost as if we like need, um, gosh, what, what, how, how would I put this? Two houses of representatives that might like enact legislation in a smart way that might actually help both businesses and the public protect themselves from exploitation. Wouldn't that be cool if we had like a, what do they call that, a government? I think they call that <laughs> something. I think they call it that. We don't really have that in this country. It's, it's a fascinating I think they're thing. busy with other matters right now. I think that's the yeah. issue. Yeah, they're busy. They're with, all looking you know, one way when they should be looking the other way. So. They're all writing their notes in Sharpies. Oh, and that's... Yeah. Uh, did you see? Did you see? By the way, did you see the uh, the font called Tiny Hands that was made? <laughs> I did. Not. Oh my god! It was a, it was a Fast Company article. Somebody took the the writing on the notepad from President Trump and made a font called Tiny font, Tiny, Tiny Hands. Tiny hand. <laughs> that. By the way, not a political statement. The best I'm just thing telling, I've heard all week. I'm, yeah, I love. I'm that. just telling you, not a political statement. I'm just saying no, that no. that really happened. So. Yeah, that's that's I love that. All right, so you have um, uh, you have a rave. It's probably I have a very quick rave, so. and and the you know it's I'm going to be completely selfish, and I'm going to rave about myself. Um, and so it's a blog post that I wrote almost seven years ago now, um, and uh, it's um, it's about gratitude. And it as I reread it, I was going through my old archive of stuff, and I found it, and I thought, oh, this is just a wonderful Thanksgiving thing. So I'm going to republish it on our blog um, for everybody. But I just thought I'd just I, I, the the one thing that I wanted to pull out for this, um, even given just what we just talked about, was. I don't know what the hell I was thinking in 2013 when I wrote this, um, but it, it's actually much more relevant this year than it I think it was last year. Um, and it's the end of the post where I talk about gratitude and I and I actually talk about this uh, this this thing that I've learned and and it was a great reminder for me. Speaking of all the things we talked about on the show today, which is what eyes am I looking through? Uh, when I think about how grateful I am. And it's one of the lessons that I've learned over the last as many years is to ask myself whenever I'm making a judgment about something is what eyes am I looking through, right? Am I looking through my child's eyes? Am I looking through my ego's eyes, my soul's eyes, my heart's eyes? You know, there's that wonderful, you know, Friday Night Lights, you know, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Um, And the asking myself what 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 lens am i looking through um that's coloring basically my judgment of something um and it's helpful i find for us as business managers as friends as you know husbands as wives as humans um and it doesn't matter whatever we're judging or looking at uh, you know whether it's that next great project or you know we're just having friends over for dinner and and all of that and I quote, um, there's a wonderful book uh, by Nancy Lay DeMoss, who it's called Choosing Gratitude. And it suggests in that book that gratitude itself is a choice. It's a judgment we make. Gratitude is a choice. And what she says is that when we fail to choose uh, gratitude, we're actually choosing ingratitude by default. Um, and so this Thanksgiving, for you, my friend Joe, for all of you out there listening and for so many others, I'm so deeply grateful, right? I'm grateful for where I am in my life, where the colleagues I get to work with, uh, the clients I get to do the work for, the people I get to interact with on a daily basis. Um, But I'm also grateful for those that I don't know, where I'm making judgments when I read about them, those I don't necessarily like. There are people out there that I don't care for. and I'm grateful for them as well. Those who are never going to realize the impact, both good and bad, they they have on me. I'm I'm grateful for that um, because it's a very selfish thing to do, which is to be grateful and use that gratefulness, that gratitude, to help me, um, you know, succeed in what I, whatever it is I'm doing. And so that's what I'm going to take forward with me when I go eat a bunch of turkey and watch the Cowboys beat up on the Patriots. <laughs> that was uh that was lovely if you, if you don't mind because it's you, when you started talking about this i 
I mean, it's not the same thing, but it's really similar because I just put in my newsletter, I have a little thing at the bottom and I just sent it out. It's called a random idea. Thank the critical. And I just want to tell you this story because it, it really did just happen and, and for some reason made a big impact on me. But a few weeks ago, I received a the dreaded two-star review on my book, The Will to Die, and this was on Apple Podcasts. And so it wasn't a, it wasn't a scathing review, but of course, like all reviews, I take everything personally. So I went, you know. That's why I don't read them. Yeah, I know. I have to start. <laughs> you tell me that every time I read, I, I keep reading them. So, you know, I went from mad to sad to I'm like, oh, I can't write anymore. This is horrible. Right. Then I started to come around and I'm like, look, I, I should really be thankful. I, sh- I I need to be thankful that this person took the time to write the review. I I want I'm thankful they listened to my audiobook. I'm thankful that I could even receive this kind of feedback, sort of, right? And so what I did was I didn't know what to do with that because I, I wanted to sort of get it out of my heart and get it out of my mind. And I decided to send the reviewer a note. And I sent an email or I sent a, a message on LinkedIn to the reviewer. And I said, thank you for taking the time to review my work. It means a lot. That's all I said. Done. And so immediately yeah. I felt better because in the past I've not done that. I've usually internalized it or I've said things I shouldn't say. Uh, and what was really funny, Robert, is, and I don't know why they did it, but the person took down the review. Just just took it down. I didn't ask them to. They just took it down. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's right or wrong or whatever, but the person, for whatever reason, did that. And so it got me thinking, of course, this, as we talk, this is a Thanksgiving episode. Uh Kind of to your point, I think maybe we put a little bit too much emphasis on thanking fee- people who are always nice to us, right? I think we should also thank the people that are critical of us. So I think that maybe a good way to end this episode is, you know, we have a, we both are blessed so much with our families, with our career, with our work, with all the stuff that you and I are doing. And I think we also need to be thankful of those people that are critical of us. Absolutely. Uh, and whenever we can, because I think that's the best part about Thanksgiving, is is really trying to understand people uh, that that maybe don't see eye to eye with us. So yeah, there you I go. mean, I'm thankful for who I am, where I am. Right, you know, just to our earlier point about the failures we've had in our life. You know, it, you wouldn't be you, and I wouldn't be me today if it weren't for everything that happened. You know, preceding it, and I'm generally happy where I am in my life today. And so a lot of that has to do with the crap and horrible things that have happened in my life, which normally you'd go, eh, I, I don't want those, th- I don't want those things to have happened. But ultimately, the, you know, the, the good and the bad carve us into the humans we are. And so that's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a thing this year, especially with where we are in the world and culture and politics to have special gratefulness for, which is this, um, you know, which is not only the people that we love, but the people who don't love us. There you go. There you go. Very nice. Nicely put. That does not mean. Yeah. Now that does not mean we're inviting you to write a bad review. If you got a bad review for this podcast, take it somewhere else, my friend. Yeah, exactly. We don't want you. Four four stars are up, baby. That is it. Um, All right, folks. Well, we hope you enjoyed this um, hour of nonsense. We're going to sign off now. And and, uh, and if you like this kind of episode, a bonus episode, let us know, won't you? This is episode number 222, the palindromic episode. Um, Subscribe, resubscribe, get yourself as many shiny new subscriptions to our little show here as your email numbers will allow. Uh, Our aim, we're still trying to be the number one podcast, not just in content marketing, but marketing generally speaking. And we're making some good progress there. Um, Thank you, all of you, for your encouragement, your ideas, all these show ideas that you uh, pitched us for this bonus episode. This is a bonus episode, so we're going to get right back to our normal schedule here. Uh, and publish in about a, a couple of weeks. Um, that will uh, that will give us uh, you know get us right back on track for the end of the year. And uh, that is it. Oh wait a minute, you've got a place. You've got all kinds of things going on now. Where 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 do people find more about like oh shit yeah smartness uh, stuff? Well, we won't talk I, by the time uh, my novel, The Will to Die, comes out. We won't be talking. We'll talk to you afterwards. So and by the way, I'm thankful. I've reached out to so many wonderful people that have 
that are going to share out the, the will to die and the link on 12.4. So I guess anybody listening to this, go to the will to die.com, check out the book. It's free on audio. And if you can on 12.4, that's the big launch date. If you could share it on social, uh, that would be great. And if you get a chance to listen to it, read it, send me a note. You can find all my stuff at joepolizzi.com and I, I'd love to hear what you think. Awesome. And for me, if you want to go read the my whole post on having gratitude this week, if it's uh, helpful for you or entertaining for you, you can do that at contentadvisory.net. It'll be the top post uh, this week, um, uh, or at least you know right up there at the top. And uh, hopefully you enjoy that. And if you feel like signing up for our stuff, you can do so there as well. And of course, remember everybody, story ideas for our next. We'll get back to our usual nonsense about the news uh, the next show. Hashtag us up at hashtag Tag this old marketing. Um, we'll uh, everything we talked about today, including the links that we talked about, will be in our show post. And just remember, everybody, as you're biting into your turkey, watching some football, and enjoying the general American Thanksgiving, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on this old marketing. <laughs>